Morning, afternoon everyone. Good afternoon. I love baptisms, it's really good. Great environment, really brilliant celebration. Loved hearing those stories, cried uh, each time. I heard about people's lives transformed. Church is great, isn't it? It's really good to be here. Last week after church, uh, after doing two services, uh, we left the building and uh, popped up to Burton Road Co-op on the way home because we wanted to uh, get some fruit and stuff for lunch and some stuff for the kids, pack lunches uh, during the week. And I was feeling a little bit tired. I don't know if you ever do that. Like when you've done, uh, you've really poured yourself into something. So I poured myself into Sunday morning last week. There were loads of people, as there always is. What a brilliant church we're part of. And um, just felt a little bit tired and got into uh, the church, into the co-op. And I got a few bits, put them in the basket, and then said to Paul, do you mind if you just finish that? I just need to go and sit in the car. And so I was kind of uh, a bit cold with my coat on, uh, hands deep in my pockets of my coat, uh, walking out of the co-op towards the car. I don't know what happened, but it was a slow motion moment where I tripped over one foot and then the other, and went crashing down onto the floor in slow motion, but also before I'd even finished, I knew where I was going. And I reckon I bounced a few times across the floor of the co-op, kind of landed on my knee, on my hip, on my shoulder. I've had really bad, like, whiplash this week or, you know, something like that. And uh, was lying on the floor, couldn't get my hands out of my pocket, so couldn't break my fall, head kind of on the, mashed into the co-op floor and looked up. Did anyone see? And um, this guy went, oh, you're right, love. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thinking I need to get out of here now. So I uh, picked myself up, walked really bravely to my car, sat in the passenger seat, closed the door. Finley, my 11-year-old's in the back, chattering about an app that he's just downloaded on Paul's phone and read Hot Tears just pouring down my face as I'm like head in hands. Do you know, even as, as I'm telling you this, I'm like, oh, I just want to cover, cover my face. As I was walking on here and it's a bit uh, wet, Irene said, oh, we need to be really careful we don't fall over. And I'm like paranoid that I'm going to trip again onto the floor. And as Paul came, walked across the road and got into the car, he saw my face and was like, are you all right? And I just crumpled and went, I just fell on the floor in co-op. Just felt really embarrassed and uh, awkward and a bit exposed. And I think shame always makes you want to hide in the car, doesn't it? In the metaphorical car. Um, In John 4, uh, Jesus is described as having an encounter with a woman at the well whose life was a complete wreck. And after five failed marriages, she'd kind of given up on the formalities with men and just carried on. Uh, with someone else and she came to a well to draw water as sun was blazing uh, so that she could hide from the other people around her. No one drew water at that time of day uh, in that kind of heat and she wanted to get away, hide from the comments, the whispers and the condemning looks. In 2 Samuel, the Bible tells us of King David, the most loved and favorited king of Israel who abused his power to sleep with another man's wife, but he got her pregnant. And out of fear of exposing his own brokenness and his sin, he tried to hide behind a cover-up that turned into a murder. 
Here's another story in Luke 8 about a woman who suffered from a gynae hemorrhage for 12 years. And all that time she was seen as unclean by the people in her community. She was uncomfortable. She was uncomforted. She was an outcast. And she saw Jesus heal other people and longed to receive his healing touch. But how could she ask him in front of a whole bunch of people who would ostracize her if she came out from the crowd? So she sought to hide in anonymity by just touching the fringe of the hem of his robe. These were all biblical portraits of people who ran to the metaphorical car to cover their shame. They hid in the wrong places. But the wonderful thing is that all of those stories Uh, The end is that they experience God's power to break shame in their lives and to set them free. And it's wonderful because I've experienced that too. And I know that we can all experience that. You know, shame comes from a feeling of not being good enough, not being enough, not belonging. Uh, What if people see something that I've done or see who I really am? You know, I put this kind of image out here, but what if you really knew what I was like behind closed doors? What if you really knew what was going on in my heart? It leaves us in a cycle of feeling empty and exposed. And if people see who we really are, then we'll be rejected. We won't belong anymore. That's shame. Have you ever asked what gives shame its power? Shame's plagued the human race since the time of Adam and Eve bit into the fruit and then realized that they were naked and exposed before each other, before God, feeling vulnerable. Immediately, I guess, imagine the picture of running to the fig, uh, leaves, uh, fig tree and getting some leaves and covering all the bits that they're like, don't look, I'm naked. Their first instinct was to hide from each other and from God. And no wonder, because they were vulnerable to one another, to Satan, living as sinful, weak people in a damaged and broken world. And we also live in a damaged and broken world with the same instinct to hide in the car when we fall on our face in the supermarket. If I'd fallen at my home, which sometimes happened, I think, I think I've inherited my mum's sense of balance, and it serves me right because me and my sisters used to laugh at her all the time. But as I trip down the stairs at home, which happens semi-regularly, uh, it doesn't feel as embarrassing or as shameful as when I do it in the co-op when everyone's watching. My family maybe laugh at me a little bit, come and give me a, a cuddle, make me a cup of tea, make me feel better, and then all, uh, even the bumps and bruises don't hurt as much. But I fell in an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people where I didn't feel safe or loved or like I belonged. And my fall is a metaphor for the kind of shame we often feel in our everyday life, when we feel exposed, when we feel like we're not enough, when we feel inadequate. The kind of shame we often experience is a potent combination of failure and pride. We might fail morally, We might fail due to our limitations. We can't do everything. We might fail because actually the Bible says creation is subject to futility. It's broken. And so we live in a broken world. We might fail to live up to other people's expectations. I think I do that all the time. And because we're full of pride, which tries to protect us and cover us, we're ashamed of our failures 
and our weaknesses, and we'll go to almost any length to hide them from others. So this means that pride-fueled shame can wield huge power over our lives. It controls significant parts of our lives and consumes precious energy as we try to avoid hiding, to stop, sorry, avoid exposure, to hide, to stop being seen. But we hide in the wrong places. Like the woman at the well and King David and the hemorrhaging woman, our shame frequently encourages us to hide in the wrong places. We hide in our homes and away from the world, or if we feel shame in our home, we might hide outside of our homes. We hide in our rooms and in our offices. We hide in housework or in other uh, activity. We hide behind computers and phones and newspapers and magazines. We hide behind Netflix and earphones. Don't talk to me, I'm on my own. We hide behind fashion facades, education facades, career facades. Facebook and Instagram facades, maybe church platform facades. We hide in busyness and procrastination. We hide in outright lies or diversionary conversation like gossip. We hide behind sullenness and humor and bravado and timidity. We hide in extroversion or introversion. You see, we've all got our own noontime well visits, our sin cover-ups, our anonymous touches of the robe, because pride moves us to use whatever we can to hide our shame. But just because pride moves us to hide our shame, in, it doesn't mean that hiding is wrong. It doesn't mean that hiding, uh, the instinct that we have to hide is completely wrong. I don't think it is. We need a place to hide, but we need to hide in the right places. And there's only one place to hide that offers the full protection and safety and love that we seek, where our shame is completely covered and we no longer need to fear. We can hide in the refuge of Jesus. You know, Jesus' death and resurrection is the only remedy of the shame that we feel in our, in our life of our failures. It's the key to breaking the pride-fueled shame that is uh, in us and the only way we get to do that is by submitting to the more superior, humility-fueled faith in the work of Christ and the promises of Jesus in our lives. And this is what's been reenacted this morning for us, the work of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our life. It's what happened to the woman at the well. She listened to Jesus and she believed him and her sin-wrecked life was redeemed and her shame was destroyed. That's what happened to King David. He confessed his sin and he repented and trusted in the pre-incarnate Christ. And his guilt and shame, which was huge, was given to Jesus and he was set free. And that's what happened to the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. You know, Jesus did make her tell the crowd. And as she had the courage to tell the crowd what he had done and what he was doing in her life, she received healing and cleansing that she needed. And Jesus made her shame a showcase of his grace. And that's what he's done in my life as well. This amazing experience can be yours. It's mine. And all it requires is childlike uh, love and belief in Jesus. I love the passion and the energy and some of the emotion that was uh, stirred this morning as people said yes to Jesus. I think it's uh, 
something really solemn and significant when we stand at the baptismal pool and we stand in the water and we say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and that he died for my sin. And confessing this is a really big statement. There are a few things that, uh, what they did this morning in our services in 9.30 and 11.30 and again at 6.30 it'll happen. There's a few things that are happening and a few things that aren't happening today. This morning, people aren't becoming Christians. They've already made a decision to follow Jesus. People aren't becoming more perfect today. And people aren't becoming more lovable to God. He already loves them as much as he can. And that love is infinite and eternal. Baptism is a statement about something that's already happened. It's a statement of personal faith in Jesus and what he's done and what he's willing to do in my life. It's a symbol of our hiddenness in Jesus. This water and being dunked fully in and then coming out again is a symbolic declaration uh, of some uh, wonderful truths in people's lives. When Paul wrote to his friends in Rome, he uh, wrote in, you can see it in the book of Romans chapter 6, and he's talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and he's talking about baptism and how that links. He says this, that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. I love that. The people that confess this morning that Jesus is Lord are making three huge and glorious statements over us here today. In a minute, Paul's going to unpack these three statements, but here they are as a headline Today, when they're baptized, they're saying, I am forever forgiven. My human weakness and sin and shame and pride is hidden in him. I'm forever loved. He loves me even when I fall. I'm forever his. I belong to him. No need to hide anywhere but with him in his house and in his family. This is a powerful moment, not just for the people who are being baptized, but also for us who got to witness the baptism as we allow the Holy Spirit to remind us of what he's done, how the Father feels about us this morning, and where we're now positioned because of our identity, our hiddenness in Christ, what that means for you tomorrow as you go to your workplace or with your family or in your community. Paul's going to unpack those three statements. Fantastic. Let's thank Joy. Wonderful. Now, we can all hide in um, different ways, can't we? I mean, I know in big ways and in little ways I can hide in my life, and shame can cause that. Um, Even in simple ways, you know, when Joy and I prepare a message like this and we're working together, one of the things we first do is set up a Google document that we can both edit. I don't use that. And so I use a different notes app and um, keep my notes to one side because it's almost like I don't want to share them yet. It's like I want to keep this to myself. I want to keep it covered. Don't look at the work. Don't look at what I've done. And so we had a conversation about that this morning. And um, Joy said, yeah, your notes are a little bit chaotic. And um, you do use random Christian jargon um, throughout your notes. And so we spent a bit of time just um, editing those things and working through a few things. But actually in sharing that, What we were hopefully able to do is hone something that's better and more complete. But shame causes us to say, I'm not going to show this. But actually there's opportunities in big ways and in small ways throughout our lives to move into the grace and the love that God has for us. And that will benefit us through our lives. And so we're going to look at these three points that I believe will help us to understand who we are, 
where we're positioned, and how we can live for Jesus today. So first one, because these are the statements that have been made by those being baptized, and they're statements that we can make if we've been baptized or if we believe and follow Jesus. The first one, I am forever forgiven. There's a moment that takes place that as someone is baptized, that they are immersed into the water. They go down into the waters. And as they're doing that, they, they are symbolically declaring that the, they, are, they are connecting to and rep, being represented by the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. So there's a moment that takes place where they go into the waters. They're saying, I recognize and I see that it's in Jesus' death that I find forgiveness and I find healing. It's where I find God in those moments. The passage that Joy read says that that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And so in that moment, they're saying the, the importance of the death of Jesus is significant because in that moment, their sin, their shame, their brokenness is dealt with through the cross of Jesus Christ. That as he has shed his blood, that brings forgiveness for you and for me. Now give me a wave if you've ever got anything wrong or you've made a mistake or there's, there's some sin in your life. Great, who should we pick? Should we pick, who wants to confess? There's a few of you that actually didn't put your hands up, which is fascinating. Roger, you didn't put your hands up. You've got things to share. And um, but some of us didn't. Maybe, uh, maybe you're a bit worried that I'm going to pick on you and um, get you to confess. Or maybe, um, maybe you just don't like putting your hands up. But for each and every one of us, the Bible tells us that we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. And so that's an experience that is for the whole of humanity. That is for each and every one of us. And so there's an important truth here that we can get that when we understand that through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, we can find forgiveness. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, Paul unpacks this a little bit for us and uses this, this statement. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So let's just walk this out a little bit because there's a moment here that when we go down into the waters, it's symbolizing and we're connecting to the death of Jesus Christ. But then as he's raised to life, as he's brought back to life, then there's a moment of time then that that causes our justification. So you find forgiveness in the blood of Jesus shed and his death and justification as Christ is raised to life. They're two distinct moments and they're really important for us. Jesus says around the communion table, which you can read in Matthew 26, verse 26, that I, this is the blood, drink the wine, this is now a symbol of the blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So Christ dying forgives sins, but Christ being raised to life then means that we're justified. That justified literally just means it's a legal term um, that just means that we are now not guilty. We're declared as totally free and not guilty. So we're forgiven. That's something that God has done, Jesus has done through his blood on the cross. And then we're also declared as Christ is raised to life, we're declared as not guilty guilty. Both of those are really significant for us and they're important statements that you and I can make because as we sit here, as we stand here today, we can say in Christ Jesus I am forgiven and he declares over my life not guilty. Not guilty. It's incredible isn't it? That thought that actually that is what God has done for us in this moment, that that sin, that shame, the feeling of not being good enough, of not having enough, of not making enough, is all broken off our lives as we understand I am forgiven today. I don't need to run to other stuff to hide. I don't need to find ways to cover shame because it's broken off my life today. Those errors I've made are gone 
I am free, I am forgiven, and I am declared not guilty. And so there may be some of us here that need to allow that to ring around our heads and that truth to settle in our hearts. Because it may be there's things that we've done that we think, actually, I know I'm forgiven by God, but surely I can't be declared not guilty. And maybe there's things that actually we just play over and we allow shame, this moment where it just plays over inside of us. I want to break some of that off our lives today to say that what God has declared through his death and resurrection of Christ Jesus is that we're free. Now, as living in community and living in church life together, interconnected in relationship, that means that we bump up against each other. And there are times where actually we um, offend or hurt each other, where we can't just say, but I'm forgiven and I'm not guilty. Um, but actually, there's moments where we, there are consequences to our actions together. You know, let's say that you found out that I was gossiping about you to somebody else, that I felt the need to cover my own um, shame by not feeling good enough, by talking about somebody else and bringing them down. There's that moment, actually, that just means that you found out about that, and that's a pretty awkward moment, isn't it? Or imagine a situation where I lose the plot at the end of this service and punch you in the face. And um, I know, you can't imagine that, can you? Like Pastor Paul, bam, it's just like um, taking you out. But there's, a, there's then a consequence. I can't then just say, but I've asked God for forgiveness, and I know that I'm not guilty. Because they would be true statements if I've gone to Christ, but there's also a repentance that takes place within community. We've got to turn away from behavior and say, actually, I'm going to change something. Because when Christ has died for us and been resurrected, there's now a new life, a new way to live that we've got to live up to. There's a new way of being with who we are. And so I want to help us with this because there's a little picture that I think can um, help us see this, that actually we can see there's consequences to our actions. And this is a, a little metaphor which I think is helpful. I want you to imagine that as I punch you in the face or you found out that I've gossiped about you, there's a tin of paint as high as the ceiling that is dropped down to the floor. And that tin of paint is colorful, it's bright paint. And as it hits the floor, the whole thing smashes everywhere. And what we can do with people is say that when a mistake has been made, when something has taken place that we've harmed or offended other people, then we can look at that picture. We can imagine in our mind's eye who is connected to that. Who's affected by that paint? Who's connected to that story? Who have we offended? And you can quite quickly see all of the people that have paint on them. And then we can ask the question, what are we going to do to clean the mess up? You see, there's forgiveness and there's repentance that we need to work out with God. And there's forgiveness and repentance that we need to work out with one another. I believe they're two keys to the kingdom of God that Jesus gives us. Walk out forgiveness and repentance with one another. They're almost like steps of walking with Jesus. Is forgiveness and repentance in our life with God. Because it must be cleaned up. There must be a sense that actually we can find um, forgiveness and repentance with one another. We can clean those mess up. Now, I believe that if we understand, rather than just saying, I am forgiven, I'm not guilty, therefore I don't need to, the opposite is true, that we say from a place of being forgiven by Jesus Christ and being declared not guilty, I can have the courage to have the conversations that I need to have. And so let's not shy away from them. There may be conversations um, or situations that are in your mind's eye right now that we need to go and have with one another to ask for repentance, to offer forgiveness. Conversations that we need to have with one another because we understand that we're forgiven and we're not guilty and therefore we can live courageous lives in relationship with each other, walking those things out. 
I'd love you to take that picture, that metaphor of the paint, and you might want to use that in your own life. You might use that with other people when situations emerge. You might want to teach your kids or teenagers that and just allow them to see that actually very visually, very quickly, we can see when a situation arises, who's got paint on and how are we going to clean that up? What are we going to do with it? Because we're forgiven, we don't need to hide in shame. We don't need to back away from relationship. Instead, because we're forgiven, we can live glorious and wonderful lives together in deep relationship. So I'm forgiven is our first statement. Our second statement is I am forever loved. You see, what shame does is it causes us to move to places to hide and to um, look for other things to either find love or find worth or connection. But when we fully understand that all of that is washed off in this moment, that going into the baptismal pool is saying that shame, those things that I'm going to run to to hide, are going to be washed and broken off my life. We don't need to do that anymore because we are hidden in Christ Jesus. I believe that our position is literally shifted. When we go down into the waters, we go down to the burial of Jesus. We come back up in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Paul says when we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection with Jesus. And so in that moment, we're raised to new life. We're actually moved from one kingdom, the kingdom of death, into the kingdom of life, the kingdom of light. There's actually a transfer that takes place. And what this then means is that the Bible shows us in Colossians chapter 3, love you to read that chapter this week, but just a few verses of it for us, um, 1 to 4 in Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, went down into the water, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. As we've gone down into the waters, our life is now found in Christ Jesus. This is a significant truth for us because there is new life for us in Christ. Our whole life is found in him. So you're already covered. You're already hidden as much as you need to be. So shame doesn't need to cause us to drive to try and find those things to cover our lives. No, we're covered by Christ Jesus. I believe that one of the ways that we can connect with this is to understand that, as it says in Acts chapter 16, that we live and move and have our being in him. So literally everything that we do, the conversations we have, the thoughts that we have, are in Christ Jesus. So just look at your hands for a moment. Just like move them around. All of that is in Christ Jesus. You are hidden in Christ. You are sw- literally swimming in the presence of God. You are immersed into Christ Jesus. Don't look for other things to hide you. Recognize that Christ Jesus is all around you. He's upon you and he's with you. Our passage today calls it a new light-filled world where the light of God touches every part of our life, where the light of God illuminates who we are and what takes place. You're literally swimming in the presence of God right now. Last few weeks, I've so enjoyed the presence of God and just reminding myself of that fact that the presence of God is around and in and through my life in every single moment. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, the presence of God is all around me. God's life is literally upon me. And I found that um, for quite often, um, quite a a bit of my life or um, my day-to-day life, um, I've got things to lead or meetings to do or to chair or 
um, engagements like this, where you've got to speak and you've got to say something in front of people. Now, during the week, those moments or thinking about those things often create quite a bit of anxiety for me. Can I do that? Can I do it well? Am I going to be able to communicate? Am, am I going to stumble over my words? And I create scenarios in my head um, that can be full of anxiety. But in the last few weeks, what I've thoroughly enjoyed with God is this sense of just resting back into his presence, knowing that in every moment, the presence of God is all around me. Right now, as I stand here, I'm immersed in the love of God, in the presence of God. He loves me. He's for me. And so as I've gone into meetings, as I've gone into lead things, as I've gone into chair things, there's just this brilliance of knowing God himself and his fullness and his attention is upon me. It's incredible. It's wonderful. And what I find in those moments is that rather than anxiety, joy begins to emerge as you just begin to delight in the very presence of God all around us. Now, adrenaline and a little bit of anxiety is helpful for us because it gets our minds going and thinking. But we don't want to live in a cloud or under anxiety. It's not a label that we're going to take. But we don't need to shun it or push it away or say it's wrong um, because actually it's just a normal physical body reaction. But we can live in the light of the presence of God in each of those moments so it doesn't crush us under its weight and doesn't cause us to run and to hide from it because I know the presence of God is all around my life. And so we're forever forgiven and we're forever loved. We're forever loved by God. He's called us, he's equipped us, he's given us all that we need. And finally, we're forever his. So we're forever forgiven, we're forever loved, and we're forever his. So those that have made a statement today are saying, I'm forgiven in Christ, I'm not guilty anymore of those things, they're broken off my life. I've found the love of God and I'm now immersed in it as I'm hidden in Christ. And because of that, I can look to him and say that I am his. You saw in those statements, I love those statements this morning, a sense of the lordship of Jesus Christ, of saying he's going to be number one. I'm going to live my life for Jesus now. Because there's a moment that as we go into the water, we have to surrender to that process. And as we do that, we are raised back up into the greatest life ever, the life that Jesus calls the abundant life, the glorious life, because this has eternal consequences for us. This is a forever moment. This isn't a moment of time that's just like others. This is a moment that marks a significance for eternity because it shifts our identity. And so in this moment, as people have gone down into the waters, and you and I who believe in Jesus have had that same experience in that same moment, we are literally adopted into the family of God. We're daughters and sons of the living God. Now, sometimes that can feel a little bit like Sunday school or a little bit like rhetoric, you know, but actually I want us to get hold of that truth today. You're a son and you're a daughter of Jesus Christ, of our God, our Father. You're adopted into the family. You're connected. And so when shame and fear begins to want to take over, I want you to remind yourself you're adopted into God's family. And Jesus says in John 15 that I no longer call you slaves or servants, but I call you friends because you know the Father's business. You know the Father's business. You've been introduced to the Father and you've been introduced to his business. So we're children of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, immersed in the very presence of God in every moment, living out what it means to know his kingdom, his plans, his purposes all around us. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I, I often have this, um, or I've had this moment in my life where I think that as someone who carries the presence of God into situations, then the pressure is on me to make things happen in my workplace or with people around me. I've thought, you know, as I've gone into uh, my workplace, I've thought, why isn't it that everybody here is, isn't a Christian yet? Why are, they, why are they not introduced to Jesus? Have I got something wrong? Why is it there's still sickness or people haven't been healed? Have I missed something where actually I haven't been able to get hold of the whole truth of God? Am I carrying the presence right? Is there a, a posture to carry the presence better? Is there something I'm doing wrong? And I carry all of this pressure and say, this is on me. But I want to take that pressure off us today. It's not on us. It's not on you. We carry the presence of God, but we're joining God in what he is already doing. The pressure isn't on you to make God do something. The joy is on us to find what God is doing and join him in it. It's a joyful life full of resting back and knowing that God is already at work in your community, in your family, in your workplace. God is at work. The question is, have you noticed him? And so I want us to be people that say, actually, I know the Father's business. You see, the Father's business is to bring the kingdom of God. And where the kingdom of God is, there's healing and there's wholeness. There's breakthrough. There's um, signs and wonders. There's good things taking place because the kingdom is in that place. But I just wonder sometimes if we're so wrapped up in trying to make it happen ourselves, we're missing the little detail of what God is already doing. And so let's be people that, are, that pray for God's will and God's kingdom to come into our workplaces and then become curious about where God is already working. You see, there are circumstances and situations around your life that God has been trying to get your attention with. Sometimes they come as an interruption. Sometimes they come as a challenge. Sometimes they come as a hurdle or things that we think that's just a problem and that's just annoying. What if that was God trying to get your attention to pray, kingdom come into this situation? What if that person who's struggling, who comes to you when you ask, are you okay, and you're hoping their answer's going to be quick because you need to get on to the next thing? What if their answer of, no, I'm not, is a God opportunity to love and to care for those people around you? What if we began to see and experience God is at work all around us all of the time? What would that change about the way that you talk to people at the school gate or on the way to work on the bus or your work colleagues? or the people that you're building relationship with? What would that change about the way you see them and the answers and the time that you give them and the love that you pour into their lives? My hope is that it would change the way that we think about them. Because the Father is working in his time and his initiative, but God is working all around our lives. Let's join him in what he is doing. We fix our eyes on Jesus, knowing that we are forever his. You are safe in the presence of God. Shame and fear do not need to drive you to cover yourself. Instead, let's understand that we're forever forgiven, declared not guilty. We're forever loved by God. And as we are forever his and in his hands, we can live incredible lives for him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you're here and that you're moving. And God, we want to thank you for each of those that have been baptized today and we bless them in the name of Jesus. And God, I ask in this moment that you'd begin to stir in our hearts. Where are those things that we cover ourselves or shame covers our lives? 
And it may be that you're here today and you need an opportunity to respond to Jesus. I want to give us an opportunity to do that now. So prayer is going to come up on the screen. And if you're here today and you wouldn't make these statements over your life, or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I want to invite you in this moment to make those statements over your life, to say yes to Jesus Christ, to come into relationship with him and to know that you're forever loved and forever forgiven. So we're going to read this prayer out loud together and then I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. And in that moment, if you want to respond, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand to Jesus, to say yes to him. As everyone's got their eyes closed, it'll be a still moment. I want you to respond and to say yes to him so we can celebrate and help you on your journey. But let's read this out loud together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Just close your eyes for one moment. If you're here today and you've prayed this prayer for the first time, you want to respond and say yes to Jesus, just as everyone's got their eyes closed, I want to invite you now to raise your hand nice and high to say yes to God. Anybody want to make that decision today? That's great. Wonderful. Anybody else? It's fantastic. Best decision that you could make. Wonderful. Love that. Fantastic. Joy, would you pray for us? Yeah, I am... I just want to invite the Holy Spirit. As Anton plays over us, uh, I believe God wants to do some business in our hearts today where maybe we've been hiding, uh, where we feel like um, we've done stuff, the guilt of things in the past, or uh, even just we just don't feel good enough. Like, it's not always for me that I've done stuff wrong necessarily. Sometimes I feel like I'm just not good enough, or maybe I'm just too much and I want to hide in the car. I just want to invite you to come out of the car, to step out into the truth and the knowledge, the forgiveness and the deep love and affection and acceptance of Jesus. Maybe you don't really know that you're loved. Like Sarah in her baptism testimony said, I felt a surge of warmth. I believe God can do that in your heart today, that he will show you that you're loved. And if you don't know what your purpose is or why you're even here in this earth, I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit, show me what your business is, Father, so that I can follow you. Thank you that I'm yours and that you take me to places tomorrow that I can bring your kingdom in and do what you're asking me to do. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak into our hearts and we together receive your forgiveness, your affirmation, your acceptance, your deep love for us, the finished work of the cross, 
your resurrection power and the purpose that you've called us to, to actively follow you, to go where you're leading us. Holy Spirit, would you awaken our hearts to hear you more, not just today in church, but tomorrow when we go to work, when we go about our daily business, your business. Would you speak into our hearts and show us where we can follow your presence as you guide us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.